Ladies and gentlemen, you know exactly what time it is. Welcome back to the Catitude Podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Anders Pryor. Thank you for making us a part of your week. We're so glad to have you all here during this holiday season. I hope ha- everyone that was on campus has having a great break. I hope all of you are getting some nice rest and relaxation in. Um, we're getting some nice moments of the Wildcats sprinkled in there to, to get all of the holiday stress, you know, ticked down or in some cases up a little bit. Um, I, uh, we've been, we're back guys. You know, we, we've been away for a month now. I, I haven't, you know, been able to have as consistent of access to the equipment that I usually do. Um, however, um, that's all been fixed and we're going to get back to the kind of regular tracking that we've been on. Um, and so, you know, thank you for bearing with me. You know, I, I, I checked the metrics and I saw that you guys are still going back and listening to stuff, which I obviously really appreciate. And I, and I appreciate, you know, the, 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 you know, you, your guy, you guys consistency and being on this journey with me and, you know, the, the good thing about being off for a while is that it gave me, you know, time to think about what I really want for the show. And for this episode specifically, you know, we have a whole five game slate to really deep, you know, deep, deep dive into and discuss. So, well, you know, we, we can get we can get right to it. And, you know, a lot of games with a lot of similarities, a lot of games that have been very different from one another in a lot of ways as well. You know, kind of just this whole, you know abundance of different you know ways to to look at everything that's happened in the past month so you know we you know there there's there's no shortage of 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 substance here so let's just jump right into it i think that this five game streak and i'll be i'll begin i'll just go in chronological order so i'll go into the four game winning streak before i go in, into St. John's. Now, I will, as kind of a separate note, I'm going to put the DePaul game aside. I, I give it a little bit of time because I think that for a lot of people last year, and you're going to hear, you're going to, you're going to hear the word breaking point, I think a couple times in the episode today. Um, I, I think that last year, the loss at DePaul was the kind of just the the real like proper like what are we doing here point in the season um I I think that that was sort of the underlying or not even underlying but kind of the front and four this is who we are kind of unveiling act um for 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 the team and so I think in terms of a a, a, a like a, like a short term, long term memory kind of way of looking at it, just kicking DePaul in like by thirty plus, you know. I think therapeutically was needed, you know. I, I think it, it, especially after UCLA, which was so tight, and we'll get to that in a second. I think that for a, a lot of the really invested people who are still a little scarred by that. I, I still, even today, when I think about last season, you know, that's like the first loss that I can think of. Um, I, I think, I think just 
looking at that score, I think it, it was 84-48, um, I believe, it kind of just, I think for a lot of people that was very therapeutic, um, if that's the right word to use. And I think that a lot of people that, you know, I think if there was one, you know, other, even whether winning or losing, or but especially in losing, there's nothing like, you know, because even beating beating up on a great team, it's great, but it's real. It's a really highly emotional situation. Um, in any sport, beating beating the crap out of a really awful team, and DePaul's awful. Like they're not bad. Like by Big East standards, like in the broad scheme of college basketball, they are genuinely terrible. Um, can I think that can feel very stabilizing because it is expected. And because the blowouts, particularly, you know, a high a high margin, you know, you still get a net positive feeling out of it. So I'm not going to sit here and act like it was nothing because it's easy to say, oh, it was DePaul. I think that that blowout at its time was, I think, more meaningful than people gave it credit for. I think for a lot of people, the Kansas State loss was the were quote unquote worst loss, and I know that when I say worst, that can mean different things to different people. But we'll use that here. Um, I still contend, and I've made this very clear. I've made it clear on this show. Um, I, I believe I've made it clear on this show, and I I think that I've done a good job of making it clear to those that I know that know this team really well, in that I do believe that our only bad loss of the year really is the Drexel loss um, because Penn has played us well consistently in the big five um, and St. Joe's is a team that many people consider to be a top group, top 10, top 12 group of five program in the country this year. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the Drexel really is the only one that really does sting. I, I think genuinely, um, but I think some people hold Kansas State in a particularly sharp place because of the spectacle of it um, and the fact that it was a buzzer beater. I think it, it re- even though it was not the thing where we lost, it wasn't a situation where we played particularly bad. Um, it was the fact that it was a buzzer beater that, that I think – the, the spectacle of it really stuck with people visually. Now, uh, my argument has been that, you know, we put Jerome Tang, the Kansas State head coach, from 8-0 in overtime to 9-0 in overtime. So, losing to someone in overtime who is undefeated in overtime, to me, is not really a, an awful loss. This is what I'll say. <clears throat> so I think that the Kansas State loss was an embodiment of 
the growing pains of Kyle Neptune's kind of late game situational coaching, which last year we had, you know, a half dozen instances where we just put our heads in our face or, or excuse me, our faces in our hands and just didn't, you just looked up like, what the hell are we doing? Um, so that's that, and that's what the Kansas State loss. I think it's a, it was an oh god here we go again moment. But the reason that I, and this is my segue into the into the winning streak, is that the winning streak that we had was essentially littered with um with loss with with excuse me with wins that were the antonym of the Kansas State loss. They were close wins down the stretch um, that required situational substitutions, situational timeouts, and situational play calling. And I thought that Kyle executed very well on all of those fronts. You know, you guys remember me saying earlier in the year, you know, Mick Cronin is not really the person that you want to, you know, finish out of conference on because, you know, he, he'll he'll outcoach just about anyone. Um, but but that was, you know, I thought that the the execution from from Neptune there was fantastic um, I thought the same went from from the Creighton game. Um, I thought that you know that you know we we got some breaks with some missed layups, but I, I thought that overall, you know, getting to the foul line, knowing who to foul on the other end, you know, it be there being you know a, a specifically in overtime, I I thought. Um, we 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 had we had the really clutch moment, um, you know we, we you know we we had a, an Eric Dixon performance that you know I think collectively sealed the deal. I don't want to discredit him and and his role in that win, but I think that being a specifically an overtime victory was, and I it was because the the. The UCLA game, you know, that was close down the stretch and then eventually getting to the line and, and understanding who to foul and all that. Um, like in the Creighton game, we did it in a way where, you know, with, you know, three to four minutes left, overall, we were able to essentially just pull away um, and and kind of just let the... You know, as long as we don't massively screw up, we'll be fine. Um, in what was broadly, you know, trying to come back, you know, 10 minutes left and then we're able to deter it, um, which is what I thought we saw in the Memphis game earlier in the year and what I thought we saw at with UCLA. Um, with Creighton, though, that was, you know, there was no kind of, up and down kind of thing, and then we were to pull away. It was up and down the whole time, and it was a really, really, really tight margin. We go to overtime. We get that clutch shot from Dixon, from Dixon, which was the exact kind of shot because it, it was it was very poetic because we saw it last year. Um, not even poetic, but I thought fitting, I guess, would be a better word. 
um, we saw last year maybe Neptune trying to integrate Dixon into some last-minute shots that maybe at the time he wasn't ready for. And so our, the fact that we were able to open up, it wasn't game-winning. It was 28 seconds left. But it was the exact kind of shot that we saw last year didn't work, and now it's working, and now the shot's falling down. Um, and we saw it in overtime. Because last year, you know, there weren't really any specific moments that could we could really properly assess Neptune's, you know, overtime, you know, aptitude on. Um, maybe the the overtime this year, you know, maybe going from Kansas State to Creighton, people might look at that and be like, okay, well, overtime is a very unique situation. We can view that as sort of the next step in Neptune's development as a coach. What I will say, though, is this. Um, earlier in the season, I talked about the different metrics of success that or ways of measuring Neptune's success and his development. And one of those ways that we could potentially do that was literally looking back at individual moments from individual games and individual situations that we saw scattered throughout last year and see how this season, when put in those same situations or ones that were similar or adjacent to them, how he would react differently, what he would keep the same that was right, what he would change that was potentially wrong, and go from there. And I thought that, you know, we love to, you know, if we're going to blame him for doing the wrong thing, then we have to give him credit for doing the right thing. And I think that this year, particularly with UCLA and with Creighton, we saw that. I think we saw the development in clear sight. And I think that, you know, we, we, I, I think we, we've, I think it wasn't even really a huge question last year, but it's especially a non question this year his ability to command with a lead because there are some coaches that don't always know how to handle leads, you know, well, which, you know, a lot of people don't really fully get that. Um, we know how that he can command well with a lead and maintain a lead. Um, but it was the close games that were the question. And we've seen now that he can not only be in a close back and forth game and eventually pull out at the last second, but also in the case of uh, with, with UCLA and Creighton, um, actually be down. And then in the second half, come back either to win it close in overtime or even pull ahead to a certain extent. Now, the game that I haven't mentioned yet is Xavier. And if we think about how a lot of people felt with the Xavier game, if you go online and you talk to people about the Xavier game, no one felt great after that win. Um, you know, it was, you, you heard a lot of the same, oh, a win's a win. You know, like that was, you know, that good victory, but we had a lot to clean up or, you know, things along that line. And I think that a couple, there are a couple realities here. The first one is that, you know, if 
Dixon, especially if he makes both of those shots, then you know, it's not even you know we 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 might completely change the the entire outlook of that and the momentum that we have going off of that game. That's just true. Um, and then that's the first thing. And even if he makes one, right? If he let's say he especially, I think you know if he misses the first. And then makes the second, so that that way there is you know time for the defense to to set up you know more co kind of cohesively. Then we do, then it's really not a conversation at all. Now I think if he makes the first, you know forces them to take the three, and we all have a sigh of relief. But then if he misses, then oh it, you know it, it it's visually it's more panicking because then the, all the movement kind of starts sort of instantaneously. It's like oh my god, what's happening? Um, I I, I think that. It was a, the fact that he missed both, you know, towards that end makes it feel worse than maybe it actually was. And I'm not saying that even in, in, in that, in the context of, okay, well, if he did the same thing earlier in the game, like some random point in the first quarter, then, you know, it would be less significant because, you know, the score is the score, right? Like in a close game, every, every point counts, but... I think that even if he makes just one of the free throws, we look back very differently because then you have to get into a weird conversation about what the standards actually are, right? Because it's like, okay, well, it, you can't kill him for Kansas State. Be like, oh, man. Like that was such a gross and and melt meltdown or you know situational just kind of collapse, and then when he does the same thing but the opposite way where we win, be you know the the conversation is never all right. Hey, great job from Neptune having the situational wherewithal to pull that out. Um, Instead, it's oh man, that game was ugly, and I and I think that that's unfair to him, in in the sense of like, hey, like yeah, it, it's like what I said earlier, like you gotta give him the credit if you're gonna give him the blame. You can't rip him for losing, and then what he wins, it's like a classic. If you do something right, people won't think you've done anything at all. It's like that. Um, and I, I and part of that I feel like because he is still new, we're still kind of withholding some credit. Because, you know, right now he's kind of just winning and losing games. The foundation isn't really there yet. You know, you t tend to fire people if the foundation is a losing foundation. But I, I do think that we need to be more consistent with how we dish out, you know, congratulations and blame. And I think that for that streak, and especially in those three games, and I think even more particularly in the UCLA and Creighton games, um, he deserves more credit than I think we're actually trying to give him. Now, St. John's. Um, St. John's in, in the past five years has been viewed in that sort of... They, you know, Seton, look at what Seton Hall is doing right now where they're just on this like crazy tear against ranked teams. Even though that hasn't necessarily been always the case it being ranked teams for St. John's, I feel like over the past five years, St. John's has been a team that is viewed sort of as a season ruiner 
where we always walk in to the Big East tournament at the end of the year. It's like, oh, man, they're going to ruin someone's season. Like, whatever, I don't know what the top four seed upset's going to be, but whoever it is against, it's going to be, a, it's St. John's going to be the team to do it. Um, th- That's just kind of, there's always a conference, that, in every conference, there's always a team that's just kind of like that. Um, I think that for, um, I think that for, Right now, I think St. John still has that same sort of persona. And I still think that within the Big East, they kind of have that sort of similar, like, uh, like rhetorical kind of role in the con- in, in the Big East and in the conference. Um, but I do think that now it's all of that, but you now add that they're well-coached. And I don't think St. John's is not really a team we're used to be, we're used to seeing be well coached. You know, with, you know, I, I know that like, people like to say that Mike Anderson didn't have that much to work with. Um, but I also think that, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen coaches do more with less before. Um, and, you know, Chris Mullen, you know, that was up and down, didn't end great. Uh, I think that now, you know, that sort of same sort of chippiness. I, I think that a lot of Rick Patino teams do embody that. But I, I think like the, the on your shoulder thing, you know, it, it this this really sort of interesting blend of 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 having a chip on your shoulder, but still being fundamentally excellent as an athlete. And I think that for what and and he's done a great job at embodying both. You, know, I think a lot of people when he had that opening press conference, you know, this is you know, oh my god, like St. John's not going to really be St. John's anymore. And each team has a sort of feeling and a sort of aesthetic. And I actually think he's done a surprisingly good job at maintaining the the aesthetic, but it still feels like a Rick Pitino team, if that kind of makes sense. And that's a phenomenon and a combination that we're not really used to sort of seeing in that kind of environment, right? Um, you know, like Marquette still feels like Marquette in, in who they are. But they also aesthetically and visually feel and look like a Shaka smart team that's coached by him, right? I think we're seeing that with Bettino here. We're not really used to that. Um, I think that St. John's will finish the year ranked. That's my guess. Um, and so I, I, I think we were caught off guard. We bo- But I also think that we were kind of caught off guard in a way that a lot of teams in the Big East and in college basketball have been caught off guard. Um, Joel Soriano is going to, you know, kind of started off as this sort of like, um, like sort of just gadgety guy with a lot of mass and a lot of strength. And now he's, you know, incredibly refined and knows how to use his wingspan correctly um, and I, and I think that he'll make the biggies first team at, in, in the, in the, at the center position or what, you know, not really, it's a forward, but he'll, he'll, he'll essentially hold that, you know, de facto role. Um, but I think that this is a blindsiding 
where it's a team that has played as well always now has the structure to do it in a way where, oh, it's not that it was fluky and that it was a really hard team that just played tough and stuck it out and got some breaks. This is now a, oh, wow, they actually just played better than us the whole time. Um, I think, I, I and I, I mentioned this to a few people, the idea that, um, Joel Soriano is the exact kind of center that Eric Dixon is designed to lose to in a one-on-one -on -one situation because Eric Dixon, when he goes up against other small ball centers, has enough natural muscle mass and refined technique to kind of just overpower you and humiliate you a little bit. And against the kind of bigger, you know, guys like that are maybe a little bit thinner, like Kalkbrenner or 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 Nunji, you know, he can just use like the strength that he has to 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 overcome, you know, on the offensive end. Um, Soriano is the best of both worlds, where he has the height and the muscle mass, and then on top of it is he has the wingspan to where he does not have to put in a significant amount of effort on offense, but the other people will have to put in a certain amount of effort on defense that makes him more prone to, to being, you know, put on the foul line. And so I think that the, his combination, he's the exact kind of player that Villanova's defensive system and the kind of personnel that we currently have is designed to lose to. And I think that Patino has done a great job of, of, of unlocking him and unleashing him. So I don't view, again, I don't view it as a, as a bad loss. My, my guess is that, you know, when we, when we look up, if, if we look up at the end of the year, if, if St. John's is ranked 21st in the country and third in the in the Big East or fourth in the Big East, five of the worst, I would think. Um, I, I don't want to. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think they'll get to a point where we go more and more on the year. And if I said, "Oh, hey, St. John split with UConn or St. John split with Marquette," no one would really be surprised. Um, I don't. I, I view St. John's, I think, as more legitimate than seeing Hall um, because I think that a, I, I do think that St. John's has a better coach and a better roster. And I think that although the, the actual, the names and the rankings attached to the wins are not as impressive as, as what seen Hall has. I think that eventually as we, as you know, you, as teams face each other a second time, the sort of lack of spacing and speed um, and lack of kind of mid-range athleticism outside of Kadari Richmond on Seton Hall, people will start to catch up to that a little bit now that we have a, even more so now that we just get more and more film on Shaheen Holloway. So I I view them as very legitimate, and so I, I don't I don't think that this is something to look very down on, um, and I think that it's actually perfect that we, I feel like if we had to take this loss at home and then go straight into our Marquette and UConn stretch, that would be a brutal ask. 
I think we have another get right DePaul game um, where, you know, we have the opportunity for another blowout, just kind of reset and recenter ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that this is something where it will stink for very long. My my guess is that once we kick into Paul again, this will largely be forgotten. That's all I'm going to have for you guys today. Um, great to be back. Took a month off, but I'm really excited to get back into the group of things with you guys. This has been the Catitude Podcast, Villain of a Basketball on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Anders Pryor. Go Cats. Have a great rest of your holiday break. I will see you guys very soon.